Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Once kids get to that point where they realize everything does have to be based in time mm-hmm. and then Roboto comes, then that's where you get moved. And that's what's so wonderful about uh, a Puccini opera. When you do that and all of a sudden you, you're so moved that you find yourself doing things that you're embarrassed that you would never do in public, <laughs> but you well up and you have big tears in of your course. eyes because you're feeling this. Mm-hmm. And, and you're being yanked around emotionally mm-hmm. in a way that you never thought you, you would be. But there's nothing. Yeah, it, I always tell people, if you go to a Puccini opera and you don't cry a little bit or get so moved, check your pulse because you're yeah. dead. Because yeah. if it doesn't move you... You know, there's nothing like La Boheme or well, you know, Butterfly. Well, go back to Peter and Pete Bond earlier, you know, and think what a what a dream job that would be to. Uh, and I and I know exactly. you post a lot of stuff about Wozzeck and some of the other, you know, very hardcore serious mm-hmm. things, but uh, they're just there's so much thing, so many great things to be said. I know you have to count 400 measures rest. But you know what? Your, like I will tell you, the high one of the highlights of my career has been the fact that we recorded Wozzeck. We performed Wozzeck two performances. In Atlanta. No, in Houston. Oh, in Houston. Just, just We won a Grammy just two years ago. We beat the Met out. Well, congratulations. That was awesome. Uh, and we didn't do any sessions. We, rec- we had two performances, no patch session, no nothing. It was so good they decided no to kidding. just make a CD out of it, and they released it on uh, Naxos. And it won, before it won a Grammy, it won the German Echo Award, which is actually, I mean, we don't know it in this country, but that's a bigger deal than a Grammy. And I think the Grammy came kind of gratuitously after they heard that we'd won the Echo Classic. The Echo Classic is is a big deal. That's a big deal. And and then here's a symphony orchestra that used to play opera, used to be involved and played with the Houston Grand Opera on all their larger works, but we haven't played any opera since I've been there. Mm-hmm. And Hans was our outgoing music director, and he really wanted to do Wozzeck, and and they programmed it, and we did it. And you know what? That's a great opera. It's a great mm-hmm. story. Berg knew how to do 12-tone. He cheated just enough 
to make the lyricism and everything mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm a big fan. I'd love to do Lulu, too, to tell you the truth, mm -hmm. but I doubt we'll, we'll, I'll get to do that in my career. But, um, but uh, yeah, I'm envious of, uh, think about Jim Ross and Pete Bond and, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, th those guys that get to hear those singers every night. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you can't learn the art of phrasing from that, you know, you better clean your ears. I grew up listening to... You know, I'd pull the al album out of the jacket, right, out of the sleeve. I'd put it on the turntable. I'd listen to one side while I'm reading the back of the album mm -hmm. jacket, right? Mm -hmm. Flip it over, reread the album jacket. You know, you're just taking in. You're mm -hmm. learning names. You're mm -hmm. learning pieces. You know, and we had uh, Oak Ridge Boys. We had uh, Al Hurt, Boston Pops. Uh, oh, trying to think of the real bluegrass uh, not Junior, not Hank Williams Junior. We had Hank Williams, you know, had recordings. I love that. And I absolutely. Marty Robbins. Talking about somebody who could reach in and grab your heart. Well, but that's just it, right? You know, you think, and you hear the cry, Johnny Cash, you hear, it was not the purest voice, right? No, no. But the man could tear you apart. The message could, right? Right? Yes. And, and okay, so, you know, you think about how to teach phrasing these days, and you listen to pop music and it's like how can you you can't learn true oh baby 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 oh 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 baby oh i mean where is phrasing in that you can't teach the angst the laughing because you're saying that and i just two nights ago i i went through youtube and and got every old al hurt um you know uh, re recording I could to send to my section mm. and I said guys you need to listen to this stuff so now when you get a chance I feel like this old old daddy you know that's doing yeah. this but I do that same thing I remember growing up my mom had a Christmas album of Al Hurt and I remember hearing him play Ave Maria yeah. and it was the most beautiful thing in my memory that I'd ever heard and when I play Ave Maria today that's what's mm. singing in my head and I was afraid. I've told this story to a lot of people that said, I'm afraid to go back and listen because I'm afraid it's not as beautiful as my memory is. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I finally bit the bullet and went back, and it's not as beautiful as I remembered it was. I did not listen to the whole thing. I thought, no, no, no. I know now what it is. I'd rather keep my memory mm -hmm. of how beautiful, because at that age, I was, you know, in single digits when I first heard that and, and it just moved me and I want to leave that alone. I didn't want to over imprint on top of that version, but he did do a lot of amazing things. Al Hurt oh. did. Uh, there was that first time he was on the Lawrence Welk show. And this, this is old oh, black this, and white okay. long before you would have known. I mean, well, this, we're not that go to, different yeah, but here. go, um, I'll tell you, um, go on YouTube and look it up. Just put Al Hurt and, and Lawrence Welk. Mm -hmm. Pete, a young Pete Fountain was playing in the band at, for Lawrence Welk. He had hair. That's how old it is. Pete <laughs> yeah. Fountain had hair. It wasn't just on his goatee. And right? he said, that, exactly. And, and Pete was kept, uh, he said, he keeps telling me, we've got to get this young trumpeter in named yeah. Al Hurt. And Al comes in and you won't believe how, I mean, because he did stuff. He was so technically proficient beyond your average jazz player. Yeah. He had technique to burn and yeah. multiple tonguing was just <laughs> all over the place and it was just great. But once again, played with tremendous fe feeling and there's a couple of other ones with Andy Williams 
where he is doing little fills after each phrase. And Andy's doing his crooner thing, right? And, he's, and, and Andy's young, and he's sounding a lot like Sinatra. Mm -hmm. And then here's, you know, Al Hurt sounding like a god, just filling mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just amazing to, you know, and our students, they've never heard of this guy, right? They don't even know he exists. So, and, and that's a problem. Uh, YouTube's great. Uh, there's, a, there's so many good resources out there. I'm a big fan of Tina Helseth, Allison Balsam, mm -hmm. Ole, anything uh, oh, yeah, no, he records. Oh, yeah, no, he's awesome. Uh, you know, Sergey, anything he records. Um, there, there are a lot of greats. But, you know, if you go back to Al Hurt and Rafael Mendez, it's the vibrato that dates things. But mm -hmm. if, you, if you listen past the vibrato, the energy and the sound, Al Hurt's sound to me is like Doc. Mm -hmm. That yeah. I mean, he just sizzles through that horn, you know. And it's, it's so you have to listen. It's the dated vibrato. I think that makes it hard to listen. Don't you to love these days. too the, the they change color so much, and and mm -hmm. I think you know we're we're we teach so much now about producing good sounds, and I hear too many people producing a good sound. Mm. But a trumpet player should have more than a good sound. Mm -hmm. He should have a dozen good sounds, sure. and and all these shades, right, between you know bright and dark or whatever, whatever terminology you want to use. But you'll listen, and they use it so effectively. Al Hurt did it. Mm -hmm. Anytime you like want to lean into a phrase where you're putting the peak of the, it gets burnishing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Doc, you know. So I still think I learned more about lyricism yeah. listening to Doc Severinsen yeah. than I did a lot of the world's great singers because he was singing. You know, that's literally, literally what what it is. And I, I remember in my one of my lessons with Chickowitz, he said, "Mark, you just remind me." This was you know early on, and he said, "You're just remind me of a trumpet jock. You can play anything on the horn, but I'm not. I want to hear a musician." And I looked mm -hmm. at him and I said. Help me. I want to be a musician. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? And and he said, you need to listen to singers. And he wasn't specific. So I listen to crooners. And when you <laughs> hear me play, I sound like a crooner. Yeah, but, but if but it was Sinatra absolutely. or if it was any of those guys, it's still, Bing Crosby, it's, any of those, you wouldn't do would have been perfect. And you know what that is? It's the art of phrasing. Mm -hmm. That's the back of the Arvin book, but that's exactly what those guys were doing. Yeah. And, and so it didn't matter that I was listening to Frank Sinatra mm -hmm. or Engelbert Humperdinck or whomever or Bobby Darin. Mm -hmm. They were all still singing phrases. And that's where, and see, Doc, it's the same thing. It's where he came, mm -hmm. came out of that same thing. Any of those guys, that's what it was all based in. And you're right, today there's no real melody structure that's the sad thing. It's Just more about three rhythm. notes, you, you know? know, and so I don't know. I don't and, think we're going to change the industry, however. No. As much as but we we'll agree. we'll change something. You know. Um, about 10 years or so ago, I came across uh, somebody had produced, oh, 10 or so pieces from Mahler song cycles for trumpet. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, being a fan of Mahler mm -hmm. symphonies. Mm -hmm. Oh, what is this? Uh, this uh, uh, Wunderhorn became one of my favorite song cycles and along with some other Schubert song cycles and you go and you start to listen to this stuff and it's like that's phrasing yeah and so I've got a lot of favorite singers that I've Barbara Bonney 
Samuel Ramey, who and I'm not in any uh, uh, Mahler things, but some other things, just who phrase, it's like, that's what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. That's how we're supposed to, and it's, you even said it in the master class today, what if you put words to all this? I put words to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of a, the Artunian uh, cadenza, um, I was listening to Sergei play it the other day. We're showing a student, and he plays a, and I thought, my name is Artunian, right? You mm -hmm. know, it could be the simplest, stupidest Simple thing lyric. it is. But then you put inflection as we do accents on words, right? Right, and not everything's a hard consonant. Not mm -hmm. everything is ta ta That's ta right. ta. And That's I'm right. That's what right. What a disservice, you know. It's like I did something. Uh, this is a, apropos. I was playing my sister-in-law's funeral about a year and a half ago here in, in Knoxville, and she—I uh, I was going to say she suffered from Down syndrome her whole life, which uh, she didn't. Uh, she didn't suffer. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she was blessed with with having Down syndrome because she saw the world differently than we do. Uh, she always had a hug for everybody and a pleasant, and, and so so it was a wonderful, you know, uh, memorial service for her. It was so touching, and I was honored just to be able to be there, much less get to to participate in in the music. And so um, they, the family trusts me, and and I know the organist at uh, the Church of the Ascension here um, very well, and and we had a, a beautiful memorial service planned and some just gorgeous singing lyrical trumpet and organ kind of playing that kind of stuff and then we had some hymns which you of course you're going to always have in a mm -hmm. service but especially at a at a funeral and we're playing and several people came up afterwards and came up to me and said you're a singer aren't you <laughs> and I said well I, I did grow up singing in choir and she said then this one lady said you do the words I could hear the words when you <laughs> were playing and, you know, she's right. I am thinking the words yeah. when I play, as I said today, you know, because it tells you, one, basic things like where to breathe. Oh, yeah. Where are the phrases actually leads, yeah. because just as we speak. But I started thinking about this more and more. I had not put it together, what you just mentioned about it's not all consonants. Mm -hmm. So if someone's singing the words, let's say you're a mighty fortress is our God. Mm -hmm. Well, Every consonant isn't a hard consonant, and we play them that way if you're thinking the words. You don't even realize what you're doing, mm -hmm. but when you do that, and so if someone is thinking those words because they've sung the hymn before mm -hmm. and they're listening, it only sounds wrong if we don't do that. Right. But if we do do that, it just sounds like, and they hear us singing the mm -hmm. words and the vowels. All of that starts placing together, and I just had never really thought about mm -hmm. it and since then I'm kind of big on teaching that with my kids. Well it's another thing along that line is uh, I asked students okay what's the definition of legato and you know well they would get too smooth and connected I said great is slurring smooth and connected yes I said so guess what <laughs> if you're playing legato and you want to slur something why not because what if it's you know that blend of a vowel <clears throat> across something you <clears throat> or you have two pitches uh the same pitch one after the other you know but it's under slur. you're going to have to rearticulate you have to be clear you have to speak clearly mm -hmm. you have to enunciate mm -hmm. you know but to think about things beyond ta tu da do i mean it's we really should get back to 
if you wrote lyrics to it, no matter how silly it is, mm -hmm. you could start to see that there's some every every single note is going to be articulated differently. And what does that do to the phrase? You know, it's like, well, I think if, and the possibilities are endless. You're going to find something that works and something that really communicates well. And if it's a hymn, it's already got lyrics to it, right? And when we're listening to auditions, the people that, and it's very few, mm -hmm. but the people that play the excerpts that way, mm -hmm. you know, when you were saying something earlier today and you said, you know, you play it with like conviction, you really own it. Mm -hmm. When you really own it like that, mm -hmm. we're buying. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, it is compelling. It has nothing to do with does that fit the Houston Symphony brass style. Mm -hmm. That's not it. We're looking for a mature musician. If they're a, ma a mature musician, they're going to fit our style. And it's going to take them about five minutes, and they're going to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the whole thing that I think most people don't understand when they go and they take auditions. Mm -hmm. um, I floundered. On my, even with all my pedigree, I was not a good auditioner for many years, right, right at the beginning, and I didn't audition much, and I didn't know. And you know somebody that helped me a lot to figure this out? Charlie Geyer. No kidding. Had some really, some, what I thought were stupid ideas when I first heard them because they were so simple, and they are simple. You know, it's just that way. And the mm -hmm. same thing I learned about phrasing and what helped me a lot was the old Vacchiano stuff. And I'm, I'm not that old. I never got to study with Vacchiano. Mm -hmm. But as far as leading to downbeats, mm -hmm. which we visited just ever so briefly today, sure. but where phrasing tends to, your peak is going to be the downbeat. Look at um, any of the lyrical things that you're, you know, any kind of opera thing, anything, it's going to lead usually mm -hmm. to that uh, downbeat of the second bar or the third bar of a phrase mm -hmm. and come away. It might not be 100% of the time, but it's definitely in the 90s mm -hmm. that it works that way, mm -hmm. upper 90s. And so it's, it's really amazing. And if you play that way, I, I mean, I've seen it time and time again. Pencils go down. People are sitting there just listening like it's a recital. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a yes. That's a big resounding yes vote. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go back. And we do, like when we do auditions, we refer back to previous rounds. We know oh, we sure. can go back and we can see, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, this is the guy. I really dug this, this, and this, or gal. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, we don't know sex, identity, anything, but we can sit there and go, that was that, right. that Carmen, you know, prelude that was the best one we heard. Right. You know, and that's the and we can compile that, and we already then go once we get to the finals, we can look back and see sure. that, and we know who mm -hmm. is consistently playing with a compelling you know sense of, of musicianship, and you want to work with those people, right? You know, I speaking of Carmen Prelude, I had worked on that piece like most trumpet players over and over and over. Then I finally get to play it. Context is everything. It's right? not. It's not a big solo. No. Well, it's not. You know, and and so you know, you temper the dynamic a little bit. All of a sudden, we're reinforcing. You know, like strings. We have, we're like, not it. Yeah. Oh, so along. <laughs> it's not yeah, that yeah. at all. It's not. But okay, so along that, it's not a big deal. Uh, my wife, you know, I make a big deal about Petrushka. She's like, "What's the big deal? It's a pit solo, right?" <laughs> You're in the pit. The dancer's the one getting all the attention. What are you so worried about? You know, of course, she knows that this is like one of the, that's the excerpt. That and Mahler 5 are the excerpts. 
Right. It's just a pit solo. Well, you know, um, uh, Mark Gould did a, a bit, the, you know, Pink the way of the Baby blade. Monster. You know, but he's actually, right, uh, as far as, no, I'm thinking of the Petrushka solo. Oh, oh, yeah. She, that's I've been teaching that for years. I'd not seen Pink Baby Monster. I did not know anything about that. And it was like, when I was on, it's like, absolutely, he's right on. That solo is, I mean, if the story, you know, the, the ballerina, there are all these puppets, right, that, yeah. that have human emotions. She's coming on to this, uh, the Moor, mm -hmm. this real handsome black dude that that's, she falls in love with. She's smitten with him. She goes to his apartment, and she's dancing for him. Now, Stravinsky, again, doing his funny thing, sure. he, he writes uh, a love you know, courtship kind of music using a snare drum and a trumpet, mm -hmm. two instruments of war. Uh, is he making a joke there? Maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But she's sitting there and she does the little fanfare section to get his attention and then the little lyrical thing that follows mm -hmm. is her pulling him in and then she does it again and it's this give and mm -hmm. take. She's seducing him. It's mm -hmm. all it is. It's a seduction solo. Mm -hmm. And to me, I always make sure my students get this and when they learn it and I think it takes the pressure off because if they think about what it really is mm -hmm. you don't think about all the technical demands that are involved because <laughs> then once you learn it in sections that way too mm -hmm. it's a little baby sonata allegro form it's what Jim Thompson used to always say mm -hmm. it's just an ABA with a, a coda mm -hmm. got a little intro got a coda da -da 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 -da, and everything else is just a big I mean a little yeah. ABA um, but you know, it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, it happens, the hardest part of it is it's not until the third part mm -hmm. and you're usually getting a little tired by then, mm -hmm. mentally and physically, and all of a sudden you've gotta be nimble mm -hmm. enough to pull it off. And and you pay the snare drummer to go no faster than 112. I always tell regardless them. Regardless of what the conductor says. I always <laughs> tell them what my tempo is. I always go up to them and yep. say, remember, 108 or yeah. whatever. You know, 108, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. It yeah. Actually, at 108 to 112, I'm, I'm happy with. Oh, that's a great I don't pocket. really want to do it at 116. Uh, can I? Of course. But do I want to? No. And I also don't think it's effective quite mm -hmm. that fast. Mm -hmm. It sounds a little frantic. Because we frequently hear auditions where people will play it dead on 116 because that's what it says. Mm -hmm. I've never performed it at 116. Yeah, I don't like it. I've never. And I've done it. I've done 1911 and 47. I've done 47 more than 11. But I've never performed it at, at 116. Mm -hmm. It's always a tick or two slower. And the last time I did it with my boss, who is uh, Colombian by training and does everything fast, he did it around 108. In fact, I thought it was a little bit kind of slow, around 104-ish maybe, mm -hmm. on, on a couple of the shows, and it was a little bit more, you know, sedate mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. but that's fine, he's the boss, mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever, you know, he kicks off, but I always, my ace in the hole, like you said, is to make sure the drummer, yeah. if anything, he's not going to push me, Yeah. if anything, he's going to, you, you know, know. it's the same thing uh, towards the end of Scheherazade, mm -hmm. where the flute, uh, you know, the three of you, oh, there are more people playing, but you know mm -hmm. where I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Letter S or letter T, whatever that uh -huh. is. Uh -huh. Which, you know, the flute's playing in six and we're playing in duple, mm -hmm. which I'm just like, I'm looking at the snare drummer thinking, you and me, buddy, it's the, it's just you and me. I'm staying with you. In my orchestra, he's yeah. always like right behind my head. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I know he's, he's it's almost feels like he is hitting me mm -hmm. on the head. Mm -hmm. And so I know where he is, but I've always memorized, I memorized that passage many years oh, ago. Because, yeah. you know, there's little areas where it wants to come apart. 
And so I memorized it, and I'm staring at the conductor the whole time. I've done this so many times, I cannot tell you. And every, con from Frubick to Burgos to whatever my present boss is or whatever, if I'm staring at them, it can't be me if it comes unglued. <laughs> right. Right? Right. Yeah. I mean, talking about <laughs> defensive playing, but I mean, I sit there and I just lay it down and I have it from memory and I'm just playing and I'll look at him and that's it. And then I've seen it many, many times and he'll turn right. and like, strings, we're, we're, we're getting, you know, we're dragging this or we're right. behind here and right. whatever. And it's never me. And he goes, they'll look and they know, well, I can't blame it on the trumpet. He's staring right with me. Yeah, right. And the snare drum and the trumpet are going to be locked in. Mm -hmm. And if we are, it really must be their fault. Yeah, it's not like we're. And that's moving. not a speaking of rubato. That is not a place for a rubato. Absolutely, it has to be. you can't put rubato in there, and, or it's so unnatural, yep. right? Uh, first time I ever played that, I um, was playing in the orchestra in Atlanta, and it was Jim Thompson, and we were doing a, a lot of stuff on a program. It wasn't a subscription mm -hmm. concert, and I was sitting beside him, and he said, "Play this." I mean, I was a young kid, you know, mm -hmm. and he was just like, here, play this. And he set me up for what would happen. And, it, you know, it came apart. Yeah. And he goes, right here. Strings always come in. When they come in the trip, it's always going to be a little slow and just plan on it. And, you know, and he was right, <laughs> except I thought when I went to Houston, I thought the first time we played it, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to memorize this sucker. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play it straight up. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I don't know if this was already trained that way, but my orchestra does not does not slow down there. Good. And it stays straight in time. Yeah. And so whoever the the first trumpet player before me or whatever, mm -hmm. it's been well entrenched there. Yeah. And that there is no rubato there because there shouldn't be any. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we've heard recordings where they do that and they enable the strings to slow down there, but they shouldn't. Um, we have an issue a lot of times with string players that, I mean, you know, they have all this technique, the first violinists, they're all these thoroughbreds, right? And they will rush, and oh, then yeah. they'll accuse us of dragging, and yeah. so that's always the the sort of... I, I play with a regional point. orchestra. We have a lot of uh, IU string mm -hmm. players come mm -hmm. down who are all working on their concertos. Oh, yeah, and they can blaze that fingerboard, can't they? But ensemble, you know, and it's not bad, but you can tell where the focus is. I mean, they're yeah. all wanting to be the next oh, Josh yeah. Bell or, Absolutely. or, you know, some, mm -hmm. it's just. Uh, but they're good. That's the one thing about Indiana. That they, they still produce yeah. a tremendous amount of really fine yeah. string players. Well, musicians all around. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had some terrific brass players. Oh, yeah. Come from there. Uh, and Rommel, I know. Oh, uh, I am a huge Rommel fan. Well, he's such a nice guy and a beast of a player. Beast of a player. Yeah. Beast of a player. Yeah. I knew nothing of him, uh, and I had a real good friend. In fact, uh, he's passed away now, but he introduced me to my, my, my present wife. And um, But uh, I met, um, I was playing this um, friend that I had passed away, his funeral, uh, excuse me, his wedding. Yeah, that was not a Freudian slip. <laughs> I just was a no. <laughs> it was his <laughs> wedding, and we were playing. And Rommel was playing as well. And so he had put together this brass group to play. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who John Rommel was. I know he played in the Nashville Symphony, but mm -hmm. and I sat down, and and we were both good friends of mm -hmm. of this guy. And I, in true Chicago fashion, I could play melody and could play loud on this hymn arrangement. It could be, mm -hmm. and then I'm sitting next to John Rommel, mm -hmm. you know, who is 
unbelievable, you yeah. know. And he's playing these little Episcopalian type little uh, fanfare things, mm -hmm. uh, uh, responses to each phrase of the melody. Yeah. And I mean, it was so, one, it was so loud that I think, you know, like you could watch, you know, Rich walking down the aisle and his face was being pushed back and he's smiling because he's loving the volume sure. so much that he couldn't believe it. But I'm playing literally as loud as I can play on the edge of double vibration. I mean, the pedal is being pushed on the floor and I can't hardly keep up with John wow. Hamill. Yeah. And who's basically up a fifth to an octave above me the whole mm -hmm. time. And I thought, wow, what a, what a powerful player. Well, you know, you know, to be sitting there then 15 years later and there's three finalists for the principal job in the Chicago Symphony, it turns out, I think I've got this right, there were, I think, four auditions for principal trumpet at that time mm -hmm. that Chris finally won, the, I think, the last one. Mm -hmm. I think Rommel was a finalist every stinking time. Every time. If that's not the model of consistency yeah. at that level, yeah. let me tell you, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah. And, you know, he might not have won the job, but that's, uh, maybe that's better than winning the job, except without know. having the job. Uh, well, but then <laughs> again, the you got to have the pressure of it. Of it. Yeah. But man, is that impressive? Because that was over like a four, three year yeah. to four year period of time, and he's consistently every time making it to the finals. Mm -hmm. That's the orchestra. When you get, make it to the finals, the orchestra has already put the stamp of approval on you mm -hmm. that they're fine with working with you. Mm -hmm. The finals tends to be a completely different. It, it goes from objective listening more to subjective listening. Mm -hmm. And the music director gets brought in, right, mm -hmm. for that. It becomes who's got their hair parted right that day. <laughs> But when it comes to the objectivity, that's mm -hmm. what musicians do every day sitting there. He passed that test with flying colors mm -hmm. every time. And so to me, that was the ultimate compliment yeah. to John Rommel. And yeah. he is a wonderful player and has turned out to be one of the very best teachers. Um, oh, yeah. There's a young woman <clears throat> from Houston that uh, is studying with him right now, um, and uh, I won't mention her name because mm -hmm. who knows, uh, you know, but she, sure. I don't want to put extra pressure on her, but she has come so far uh, under him from a freshman and she's now a junior. Uh, it's impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I know he spent a lot of time at the end of Chickwitz's career really, you know, going and, and absorbing as much from right. his teaching experience as he could. Mm -hmm. But um, man, I, and there's tons of, I, I think so much of his studio that if someone comes and auditions at U of H mm -hmm. and they had come from his studio, I don't need to hear the audition. Wow. I will accept them in my studio without hearing it wow. because I will, I will know that mm -hmm. they're fundamentally sound. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Usually you, you, you're going to hear them, but mm -hmm. I could do that without, without hearing that person play because yeah. I've never heard one yet that isn't that way. And I actually helped fix somebody and who's now a working titled player in a major orchestra and he had a real issue after his graduate degree and had no high register a lot of other issues mm -hmm. and I completely reworked him and one of those things where we kind of as you were talking about mm -hmm. kind of had to go back to square sure. one 
really diligent hard worker, but he needed to be taken through the process again. Mm -hmm. And he kept smiling and he kept saying, I've heard this before, I've heard this before. And I laughed and I said, well, of course you did because blah, blah, blah. And I didn't realize who he was talking about. Oh. And finally, when one day we were getting near the end of him getting through everything and he said, yeah, I've heard that before. And I said, you say that a lot. And I said, I assume you're talking about, and I'll leave those names nameless. And, and he said, no, actually I'm talking about John Rommel. <laughs> And he goes, he says exactly what you're talking about with aim, you know, with horizontal airflow and blah, blah, blah. And when you go in the upper register, you do not aim up and all these different things. And, and he goes, and it just, it's bringing back wh where I used right. to be. Right. And it literally from that point, it was a matter of weeks until he won his job, mm -hmm. not months or years. It wow. was amazing. This kid. I've never seen anybody more a more diligent hard worker ever. He's mm -hmm. my, if I had to give an award for the most, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hardworking young man I've yeah. ever been around, it was him. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. How long have you been at U of H? I don't know. <laughs> I literally don't know. I'd have to guess. Is about... it because it was an adjunct position to begin? Or is it yeah, it's always, it's still it's an adjunct. Okay, I'm, I'm, right? They call me uh, affiliate artist okay. and trumpet. And I know I didn't start there right away, but I don't remember the first year. Mm -hmm. So it's been probably five to seven years or okay. something like that. It's not been a long, long time. Because mm -hmm. the first few years I wasn't teaching yeah. college level and I missed it. Because I started teaching college right out of college. Did you, you have your doctorate? I don't. I don't even have a master's. I have a bachelor's. Well, Mark, how is that possible? In I know. <laughs> seriously, I mean, you know, this is, I had, I listen, I, I had a long conversation with Ronnie Rom uh, last week about just this sort of thing. You know, and he said to me, and, and I don't think he'll ever be upset with me saying, he goes, well, Larry, I don't have a doctorate. And I said, but Ronnie, you have something a lot of other people don't have. I mean, he's famous, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and you just Let's to look around today. And there's nothing wrong with the DMA. The people that have done that, I think they're wonderful, and you need Absolutely. them on the faculty to actually keep us keep the university kind of working. Mm -hmm. Because those of us that are players on the outside, we don't really have the time to play all the politics that occur. I mean, people think their politics in the playing world, that's that's child's play. University politics, that's the real world, man. Administrivia is what I, right? <laughs> I'm stealing that. Well, I stole it from somebody else, so. That's exactly yeah. it. Um, and we need those DMAs to actually stand in our way mm -hmm. between, you know, academia and us peons that just teach trumpet. Mm -hmm. But look at all the trumpet studios around. And, you know, Ursuth did have a master's. Mm -hmm. Chickwitz didn't even have an undergraduate degree. Okay. Um, well, how successful was he ever going to be? Oh, I know. I mean, now, you know, I'm being facetious know. about this, but mm -hmm. it just goes to show. I mean, well, think Joey about Joey and John at IU, right? right? I mean, I think maybe a master's at the most. For I'll be seeing Joey in about a week. You know, he comes out and plays lead with us when we can when we can oh. manage to get him. I think the world of Joey. See him tomorrow, we're doing. Some Tell him I said hello. Yeah. He is yeah. just the best. Yeah. 
easiest to work with lead player. And oh, I'm That's sorry, okay. I just realized <laughs> easiest um, uh, guy to work with in the business lead player. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. and he, he, I mean, literally, I check out if I bother to play, which I'm going to do because I'm letting my associate rotate out, mm -hmm. so he can have some time off. I'm going to play fourth. Mm -hmm. And why do I do that? Because it's fun. Of course it is. You know, <laughs> I want to be there when Joey's there. And sometimes yeah. I, I rotate out myself and mm -hmm. am not there. But Joey, you know, he's just wonderful. Listen mm -hmm. to play, plays great lead. If he has a lyrical solo, I don't even have the need to, I don't desire to grab the solo. And right. I just let him sound awesome. Yeah. He just, he's just great. Yeah. So Joey's, I mean, Indiana has a, has it going pretty well? A lot of great players up there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and and will as long as you know those two guys are, are you know still producing the way they are. It's it's impressive. But if you go around and look at all of the major schools in the country, you know you don't see any DMAs. Now you do own some other instruments, but you know that like Rice University, you know they have they're that's like the best orchestral training program in the country right mm -hmm. now. And, you know, Bill Vermeulen, who's got more students out than any studio I've ever seen on any instrument mm -hmm. on horn. And you know how much college he has? Well, we were freshmen at Northwestern together, and then I continued to go to school, and he worked. <laughs> he left during his freshman year mm -hmm. as a professional player and went on. But can he teach? Yeah, I think he can. <laughs> He's got students all over the world. Mm -hmm. Every major orchestra, anything, is full of his students. Mm -hmm. um, it's incredible. Uh, Trumpet-wise, they got Barb and Charlie. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think they're putting out? Yes. Oh. Just recently, uh, the last four auditions that I saw were all their students, four. Wow. You know, they are pumping out almost as many mm -hmm. and have for many, many years at three different schools mm -hmm. as Bill has been doing. Okay, what does their degrees look like? Well, they both have bachelor's degrees for Northwestern with Chickowitz and Herseth. You know, that's, that's what they have. And that's what we're competing against. And, you know, so that's why you start looking around the country and you see program after program and these people have bachelor's or maybe mm -hmm. master's degrees, but not too many of the DMAs. And I feel sorry for the DMAs because they're having to compete now with a model that doesn't help them. Uh, we need them. I think the ideal would be to have schools where you have a DMA mm -hmm. and some adjuncts. Um, and so that... The problem with the adjunct is though, you get into the economics. You want, you know, I would love to have the job security, the benefits to correct. Every, correct. That's the biggest downside. That, and I get that. The only thing about that is um, they can they can still do that. They're just not always willing to do that. But they could do that as a half-time position. You could have all of your mm -hmm. benefits and some security. Mm -hmm. Might not be tenure track, but that's okay. That's okay. I mean, you know, we're we're used to that so as freelancers. This, this interview will come out after, you know, uh, after this semester is over. You know, but here I don't have my doctorate, but here I am mm -hmm. teaching at a major university. Mm -hmm. You know, feeling very grateful that Kathy called me to do this. But do you know what you're doing? Yes, of course you know yeah. what you're doing. But so, you know, this was, and I, this was, I called Ronnie, you know, and I said, Ronnie, you know, what do I have to do? Because I know he sat on search committees before. I said, what do I have to do to get my, my resume, my cover letter, get them to look past that there's no 
DM or DMA after that. You're doing it right now. Well, and that's and he said that, but you know, then of course I'm going to edit this part out. But uh, mm -hmm. Doc and I become friends, and mm -hmm. which is so surreal. I know. We Isn't watched it? him. You've mentioned watching him growing up. You know. Uh, the two-second bumper coming back I'm from still, commercial. I'm like, going. I return to being a little 15-year-old when I see him. And it's... I'm in it's, so in awe that I can't help myself. And his energy. Here's another thing. <laughs> he puts us both to shame. Well, <laughs> but the man has so much energy and still enthusiasm for trumpet and teaching and making sure that everybody, everybody gets the most out of it. And I just think... What he did on the Carson show and all that has been great. But what he's doing now is, mm -hmm. I think, the most important work he's ever done. The, because, you know, what he's at least said, because uh, I've asked him a little bit about this when I've gotten to talk with him. Um, that was such a time commitment, the Carson show mm -hmm. and all of that. That wasn't just a little... Waltz oh, I know. It kept him off of the horn as much as it was like promoting his career. I mean, he likes to play. He loves, <laughs> no, he doesn't like, he loves to play. He will play all day long if you left him alone. He loves to, and doesn't that charge you when you sit there and you see somebody that's 90 years old and he still loves to play, maybe more than we love to play at half his age or whatever, and it just blows my mind. But I... If we pull down, like right now, my phone is full of Doc Severson. Yeah. <laughs> and the people, I remember Herseth used to always talk about his favorite brass player was Maynard Ferguson. And I get that. I do get that. There's a lot of good things that Maynard did. And Maynard was a, an awesome jazz player early in his career, too. Before cow, he did the, right? the high note thing. Right? You go back in the day, Cat uh, Anderson day, when Cat was playing lead and, you know, and he was just on the bandstand. Maynard could do all His kinds jazz of jazz was terrific. And that's where Hersus coming from mm -hmm. when Hersus was saying that. But for me and the way I am, no one spoke to me like Doc Severinsen spoke to me. Mm. And I still to this day just, you know, and it, I know I'm not the only one. It, obviously, you're that way. I remember years ago, this is back in like 1982, 83. Mm -hmm being in the basement of Kappa Delta Sorority in Evanston you know, uh, at Northwestern University. Were you supposed to be down there? Um, yes, because the houseboy lived there, who okay. is, my, is Bob Walpole, <laughs> I still work with. So we were downstairs and, and uh, the houseboy's apartment, and Manny Loriano, mm. the young principal trumpet player that just got the Minnesota job, used to come into town and get a lesson with Herseth and one with Jacobs and one with Chickowitz, and then he'd go to work for three months and he'd come back. <laughs> And he was down in that basement one day, and he picked up a mouthpiece, and he said, Hey, Bob, can I try this? And he buzzes around. He goes, Man, I think this would be a really good high note mouthpiece. And he goes through, and he plays the uh, cadenza that Doc does on Rhapsody for now, mm -hmm. um, the one that ends on the double E flat. And Manny did that. And I was a changed young boy at that point that I thought, uh, a principal trumpet and an orchestra can do that. Right. And he did it. But see, what did did that speak to Manny Loriano? Did mm -hmm. Doc have an impact? On, mm -hmm. Doc had an impact on everybody. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is he doesn't really even know it. I mean, it's it's out there, but, you know, it's just it's just What a legacy, level. though. I mean, it's, and, and I, I'm serious. I think his, his biggest part of his legacy has been 
of late. As of late. And well, to know, see him, like he could have, he could have quit ten years ago and still been known as one of the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. And he's continued to love to play mm -hmm. and continue to be out there yeah. and teaching and uh, demonstrating yeah. and, and inspiring. I mean, it's still, it's still to me, it's the inspiration that's everything. Because if we're inspired, then we go do the work. Yeah. If we're not, yeah. we all sort of fall off. And yeah. I think, where does he get his inspiration? I don't know. I hope it's an endless wellspring of, uh, of inspiration that comes to him. It's just, it, it'll be a changed world when he's gone. You know? nope, no doubt about it. No um, doubt about it. And, uh, and, well, we, it were, and we were world, lucky to get to know but him. But it was a know? changed world when Bud left. Yeah. And Rolf. Mm -hmm. Even, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the stories about Rolf mm -hmm. Smedvig. You know, what a sad, what a horrible loss for, for the Well, because world. no matter what he did in his personal life or the way he related with uh, booking agents and things like that, you can't take away the beauty in the playing. And he was not the most consistent player ever out there, but he was close. Uh, and when you would hear him really do something, people talked about it. Mm -hmm. I can remember my first music director, mm -hmm. you know, coming to and said, I heard this recording on the way in. Who? What, can you find out who it was? You know, that kind of thing. Sure. And it was Rolf Smedvig. Yeah. You know, Rolf, Rolf had just some, There's a. there was that, ring in his sound that a lot of people well not very few have it that that there's a the brilliant ring in his sound but the way he moved from note to note was to me the most distinctive thing about him have you ever tried to play that handle aria that they did in the quintet no that thing mm -hmm. talking about smoothly connecting mm -hmm. notes and everything Try playing that sometimes. It's hard as crap. <laughs> Is this when he had moved to G trumpet for everything? Uh, he he might. I yeah. would imagine he was playing this on G trumpet because right. the, the key. It, it, he might have played it on a C trumpet though. Mm -hmm. I know, man. If I did, it was killer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he just floated like it. It literally sounds easy mm -hmm. until I try to play it, <laughs> and I hear anybody else try to play yeah. it. And that's when you realize, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I think he's better. <laughs> yeah. But just, yeah. well, and thank goodness we have the recordings yeah. you know, to, to listen to on that. How so. about that? those early, I mean, they he took that Empire Brass Quintet and took it to a level of real chamber music. I mean, we were no longer the oxymoron brass chamber music mm -hmm. that people, I mean, you know, it is sort of an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. But they literally were an elite group that could compete with any group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when those, like, especially those Ewalds came out. Do you remember that? I mean, that's yeah, a little before but, your time. No, no, but I, I, I remember, remember those. That. But I, it's, I remember even some of the cheesy stuff that they did later on, you know, and I say cheesy, but it was. Uh, well, stuff they knew would sell. Like the Celtic. You know, there was a thing with, like, uh, they added some drums mm -hmm, sure. to things. Mm -hmm, and, you mm -hmm. know,. Uh, but they changed the world the same way Canadian brass changed. Mm -hmm. And I think you never look at, at brass players the same way again. It's They gave us a vehicle to do some really amazing things through transcriptions first, right? Right. Then, well, you then go I'll, back. I mean, you can look at it. Fortunately for us, it's not that long of a history between, you know, like Adolf Scherbaum was one of the very first 
That's soloist. See, that, that, that's just before Andre. Adolf Scherbaum mm -hmm. uh, was a German guy, and he was the very first person to like tour the world playing mm. Brandenburg. I need to look that up. There's a famous quote. I'll tell you this. Mm -hmm. You can edit this out if okay. you want or whatever. It might be worth keeping. <laughs> um, he was playing the Brandenburg, or supposed to play the Brandenburg in Chicago in Orchestra Hall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was back probably 1960 or 58, something like that. I mean, it was back in the mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And as the Brandenburg can do, if you've ever tried to play the Brandenburg, sometimes it can just bite you big time. I've played it maybe five times, and once I can't even say the last time I played it was horrible. Mm. And so that was the last one, that and was... it probably will never be done again. Uh, they went downhill as, as I've gone through life. Um, but at any rate, he was supposed to play it. And, of course, it being the thing, all of the Chicago Symphony Brass section was all sitting on the front row of the balcony, just hanging over like a bunch of vultures, you know, checking out what was going to happen. And it doesn't go well, mm. which, you know, I can't imagine touring it, jet lagged and everything else, sure. but, but it doesn't go well. So after the concert, they all go to see him and everything, and it's all done. And he looks at it, and I thought, what a great attitude, he says. Can I help it? If I put them in straight and they come out crooked. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and that is oh such a... But he was, he was before Andre. I mean, he was just... He, they were contemporaries, but he was recording... And, you know, our solo rep back then was minuscule of what was recorded. You know, it was like uh, Vobisch in Vienna. You know, they, they would maybe record the Haydn mm -hmm. and maybe the Hummel, not that much of the Hummel, mm -hmm. but Haydn and a few baroque type things, and that was it. We didn't have much. And then Andre's really who paved the way sure. into the modern era. Um, do you know the old recording of Andre doing, uh, it was called Trumpetissimo? No. It came out on American Heritage Society, and it was all of these Bach melodies with a little electronic organ, a string bass, and a trap set. So, trying to kind of quasi-swing, and it came out about that time of that, that French jazzy 1960s-ish, mm -hmm. like... Um, uh, Catch Me If You Can, the movie that John oh, yeah, Williams, right, right. that period of sound, right. that's what was going, and, and to hear him do all of those, and I used to listen to that, oh my <laughs> gosh, I wore that record out, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and but Andre did all kinds of things like that to show versatility mm -hmm. uh, in his playing, and now, of course, today, uh, you've got one or two or three in every country, just about, uh, you mentioned Tina Helseth and, and uh, Allison uh, who Allison? Uh, and I got, now on baroque trumpet, right? You know, oh, she's to me that's some of the most beautiful yep. baroque trumpet I've ever heard. Yeah. She came and soloed the Haydn with us on an opening night uh, about four years ago, and I got to interview her for a, a blog on the symphony mm -hmm. thing. And she is so gracious. Isn't she nice? Oh I, my I got goodness. to meet her in Indy, and uh, and, and she's so gorgeous to look at, to boot, and <laughs> so nice in the accent, everything. But what's not to like? Right. Right. It's like the perfect, you right. know, uh, thing. She well, just played. She just played Haydn, and I wanted them to get her to play Baroque, mm -hmm. the Baroque uh, trumpet, and maybe one day 
I keep telling them that's yeah. the thing to do if yeah. we come in. Well, you know, uh, we were talking about our original conversation a couple of days ago was geared around the natural trumpet and broke trumpet. Um, but John Foster, you know, the Australian, mm -hmm. are you familiar with mm -hmm. him at all? Just by name. So he invents, uh, came to UND and did a program, you know, it shows all the trumpets, the evolution of the trumpet from the conch shell mm -hmm. and everything in between, you know, the, the collection that he and Benny have are just, are terrific. But um, uh, it's the first time I'd really heard Baroque trumpet up close and personal. What a sound. Yeah. That, I think, is what got me really interested in following this up with the natural trumpet. And Have you looked at the Altenberg book? Yeah. You know, well, and, the, then, and the, then all the stuff that... You uh, know, you were talking earlier about different consonants. Yeah. And they actually used oh, all right. kinds of syllables. Right. Right. You, and you, right, you can't articulate that these horns that way. Right. You know, the way we do... Uh, right. Because it, they explode. They, they literally explode. The viola section will rebel. <laughs> they already want to rebel, right? But right. But would put them over the top. That's right. And I articulate, you don't hear me, you've not heard me really play a lot, but I articulate pretty heavily. Yeah. Uh, I That's Hersa beaten into me. Um, in the orchestra, mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's front end. Yeah. A serious front end yeah. when I play. Um, so, yeah, the the hair of the back stands of violas, it's wet by the time the show's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I was wondering if you'd read that book or seen the book of the because of the yeah. variety of articulations compared to what we do today. It's kind of shameful uh, that we do so little, right? Mm -hmm. We do ta's and da's and, you know, teary, weary, geary, weary, jury. I don't know. And, you know, Vince really helped open my eyes to a lot of that, too. You know, you know Arbonne was French. You know, you, it wasn't a hard two. It wasn't a hard coup, you know, and you start to realize the differences in in the way that the French would actually pronounce those, and mm -hmm. it's like, oh, it's changes, changes things. Well, that's part of what you hear. The reason mine seems so hard when you hear it, there's it, you project it. The French, it's down much lower, mm -hmm. and you know we're always afraid the tongue between our teeth, and yeah. we're not saying go between the teeth, but it is in that area. And when you do that, you don't have to tongue as hard because it projects more. So if it's placed there, listen to Andre. Yeah. And that's but, but that's it exactly. It's it, you're not doing it to satisfy a band director's desire to hear you articulate correctly. What you're doing is you're finding what it takes to communicate from your chair mm -hmm. to Absolutely. the back of the hall, Absolutely. or at least to the conductor's podium and satisfy right. what right. they what they want. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so you know. Learning very on very early on. I didn't know what I was doing early on, and my first teacher in junior high gave me a stack of Andre records that were his, mm -hmm. and just said, "Listen to these." And so all through junior high school, I listened to mostly Andre. There were, uh, you know, a guitar recording in there, and but most all of it was Andre, mm -hmm. and. I didn't know. I had this little French vibrato, mm -hmm. a little bit more focus on my sound than what I have today, faster vibrato, I should say. And but that articulation was always there. And I could hear band directors say, "Don't tongue between your teeth." And I would think, "Well, you know, I keep making person all state. I must yeah. be doing something <laughs> right." But right, know, I just won't tell anybody. Just don't tell anybody. And so I kept the secret all the way through college, right, and never said anything. And I remember in my senior year, Chickowitz kind of had this check flight, 
checklist thing mm -hmm. with a lesson where we went through everything and he said, Mark, everything seems, you just seem really solid. Everything seems there. Mm -hmm. This is great, whatever. And I thought, well, if he didn't catch it, he doesn't know I'm telling you between my right. teeth. Right. This is great, right? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I've made it. I win my first major job. This is some mm -hmm. 10 years later or so. And I'm in the, the Atlanta Symphony and I'm doing a master class with Jim Thompson, mm -hmm. a joint class. And Jim does this big Arbin thing, just like mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, Vince uh, it was still, uh, then he was telling you. And it's, you know, about the French and he's having us, the, the students all say this articulation and where the tongue would place. And I was doing that and I was going, and so afterward, I went up to, to Jim and I said, Jim, are you, are you really serious about this? Mm -hmm. He said, yeah. And I said, you know, that's where I tongue. And he goes, I know. I can hear it. And you've always tongue right. And I said, I always thought I tongue wrong. Mm -hmm. I was told you never tongue between your teeth. And he goes, by who? And I said, a band director. And he goes, what do they know? Hartman knew. And never breathe on a bar line. And yeah. Never, or, 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 you yeah, know, yeah never all breathe. those rules, right. right? Which rules are just meant to be broken, you know. But and and it was such a freeing thing to finally realize that I wasn't hiding a secret, <laughs> you know, that was some sin that I had done. Mm -hmm. I was actually just playing by ear. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times now, when I I I have a tendency not to trust people's mm -hmm. ears, but I want them to listen and just listen because. If they can hear it, it solves a lot of problems, yeah. and we don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Then they just sort of cure it. I only talk about it when that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But if they can just learn to, to hear it. so Is that yours, that, that cow horn over there? No, no. Again, this is uh, Kathy's studio. So. I've not seen one of those uh, with yeah. a mouthpiece on the end of it, but that's wild. I feel like we could go on for you and I probably could six or eight more days. We would need to do we would need to do this with adult beverages in yeah. hand, but uh, then the then the subject matter might change. You know, I can't tell you how grateful that you know we that we had the opportunity, but um, it's, well, likewise it's they get to know you fun. better. So you know, it's I've, I've admired uh, your playing, but you know, I I look at these interviews as a chance for people to get to know you, but also to really appreciate. You know the journey. Yeah, oh, and okay. I think you know this is what an opportunity. What if some young kid listens to this, and he or she is like, oh, you know, they're inspired somehow by this. You know, and I don't want to be all altruistic about this. I mean, really, it's still it's still just a big fun thing for me to do this mm -hmm. podcast mm -hmm. to get to sit with, and talk with people who. Are doing it. Still lucky enough to do it. I still consider but myself really still lucky to do so it. So fired up about doing it too, mm -hmm. you know, and that hunger to just keep. I mean, it seems like you know you're not satisfied with it. Like you still want to practice, right? I, I'm dying to practice right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but thank you for sharing everything. And this will just mean, and I say this every time to everybody, and, and I'm hoping to follow up. Uh, it means we'll have to pick up. A second time, absolutely, or maybe a third time. And, Be my pleasure. And talk about something. You, you run a great interview because I don't well, feel like thanks. I'm interviewing. I felt like we were just chatting. We were. So we were. But you want to know how much information I got out of you? Is you didn't even know it. I got your social security number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was went right over your head. You had no idea I got that info. I know I your a, wife's middle name. I know everything. I had a a, a real brief one uh, interview last night that my son was doing for a class. And when I finished, I said, "You know, Thomas, I've done a lot of these. 
and this is probably your first one, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, you're actually good at this. That's cool. He actually did a That's really cool. good job. We were, I was driving down the, you know, the interstate yeah. coming here to Knoxville and he had a, to get a report done and everything. And he wanted yeah. to do a report on the Schumann Festival that we had oh, just yeah. finished and, and uh, for a, a PR class he's taking. And it was just interesting to see some people have a gift, and you have a gift. You mm. make it very easy. Well, and not everybody does. As I said to, the, mm. to Thomas, I said, you know, I've done even a couple of these for NPR over the years mm. and different things, and that some of them feel very stilted, and and you are aware that there's a microphone in front of you. And, exactly. and they've got a litany of questions that Absolutely. they can't deviate from. And it's like... Well, where's the fun in that? Now, you were vamping the whole way, which is a nice thing. Yeah. You were sitting there able to like go, oh, well, this leads. But you're still, you know, you're smart enough that you still had a... Can I get that in writing? You don't, Just that much. You know, you're smart enough. You know, but that's <laughs> it. Well, you know, I will say, like I said before, I'm the dumbest guy in my section, but I recognize intelligence. I doubt that. I, doubt I recognize that. intelligence. Yeah. So, you know, I'm lucky. I really am, and I'm, the reason I'm having the best time of my life is because I'm surrounded with so much talent right mm -hmm. now. And how can I not enjoy life? I mean, I'm getting to play the best music mm -hmm. ever written with one of the best conductors right now. I've got a really good conductor with mm -hmm. a great orchestra, with a lot of great colleagues, you know? And, and it used to kill me when I would still see people a bitter, and even in my previous orchestra, sometimes people were older at that time. They've replaced all these people now, and they're gone. Mm -hmm. But people were just bitter, and I'm thinking, get out of here! You know, if you can't love what you do, why are you here? Right? Right? Because right. would you not probably cut off your big toe if they said, right now you can have my job, but we're going to have to take your big toe? Uh, would you like me to wash it first? Yeah. Or it's, you know, <laughs> well, if you want... Most people yeah. would lose a body part in exchange yeah. for these jobs. Yeah. And if people aren't aware of that, mm -hmm. there's something wrong with them. And so when I walk out, and I can say this with an honest, honest heart, when I walk through those double doors onto that stage every day, I still get a thrill. You know, because mm -hmm. I know that my path wasn't immediate. Mm -hmm. People that maybe get that job when they're 23 years old, 24 years old, maybe they'd lose that. It took me a long time to get there. And as I tell my colleagues, I'm not leaving tomorrow. Yeah. And if, if I'm not good enough one day, they're going to have to blast me out of the chair because <laughs> I still I still love sure. what I do. Sure. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So looking forward to, I still get to do Mahler 7. For the first, play principal on it for the first time this season, I mean, you know, you know, it is what it is. It's Too got bad. scary licks, but yeah, the bass trumpet, you know, opening that symphony, I think. Uh, you mean the 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 uh, the euphonium, the tenor tuba? Well, I've seen it done on bass trumpet. Have you really? Yeah. I've Carl, never Carl seen Lenthi. that. Uh, I've not seen it done that way. Yeah. Oh, it was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. You know who I saw do that for the first time I ever saw it was Jay Friedman was playing valves mm. on that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful euphonium player. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best trombone players started on valves. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's something to that with them mm -hmm. learning to to play a little more lyrically. Because yeah. trombone is an awkward instrument. Well, you know what? He actually, Friedman actually talks about in, in one of his, uh, it's an article that he had written, but about, you know, learning to play legato using cornet, I think, you know, with really sluggish valves. You know what? You know, like you put Vaseline on the valves. Something, yeah, something along that line. And you know, that's a, it, that is a really 
when he, I've, I've played for him a few mm -hmm. times, actually. Mm -hmm. I love Jay. Jay's one of my favorite human beings. Mm -hmm. um, learned a lot from him. The mm -hmm. wide vibrato thing that he does, too, for fun. He's just, yeah, We <laughs> that's another podcast. Okay, okay. But the, the valve thing, mm -hmm. what happens if you're going to keep the sound flowing and you half valve? The more resistance, if you have a lazy airstream, mm -hmm. no stops. You're shut down. You're shut yeah. down. But to continue to blow through that, there is a persistence to your airstream. You're really, you're not pushing, but there's a direction that has to go against that, right? And that's what he's doing in between his notes to remind people, because we tend to blow air at the front end of the note and we decay. And we have to to go through the change. And even if we're moving, and, and what is, why does Doc talk about popping the valves down so much, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. To minimize the disturbance between those notes. Mm -hmm. And like today, the student that was playing mm -hmm. uh, second, uh, that was one thing that I didn't even have to say because I, I mm -hmm. knew Doc had been here because they were saying, if you'll pop your fingers down harder yep, yep. and all that, and I was like, you know, the work's already done. They yep. already, she's just got to realize that if she records herself, she'll hear it and she'll start popping those fingers yeah. down. You can't mash, you know, as yeah. southern-wise, we can't mash those fingers down. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Sure. Because and the only way that she's able to keep the air going through that is because that's a good mm -hmm. thing. That's why I liked there's some tenacity to her airstream, yeah. which is good. So anyway, yeah, that's Jay's big deal. Yeah. Um, I First time I played for him, he mm -hmm. said that. Have you ever... Have you ever put like Vaseline or something on your valves to make them move real slow and tried to play? Mm -mm. And I said, no, no. And are you just put heavy, really heavy sure. oil on there and it'll do it. And then you'll realize what he's talking about. Yeah. And then, because I struggled early in my uh, days, I had air out problems. I had air out all the time, in the, especially in the low register. I always was gifted up high, and I didn't have. Well, and, and it was you, an airstream. How did you phrase it today? You were, you were starving your chops, yeah, right? You were starving, I was starving them. them. Yeah, that's I stole that. That's uh, it's Arnold okay. Jacobs. I'm steal it now too. It's a he would always say you're starving your chops, mm -hmm. and you got to feed them, and the only thing they eat is air. So, mm -hmm. and, but I would do that, and I would frequently no, lose notes uh, in the low register. And the beauty thing about playing in Houston. Um, the third trumpet, Bob Walp, was, I told you, was like my roommate in college, mm -hmm. right? We played in a quintet together, and it was a good quintet. Mm -hmm. Eric Rusk, the horn player, was in that group. <laughs> um, it, we made the finals for the Coleman competition, and we were too poor. We didn't show up. We didn't get to go to the, play the finals. But it was a good quintet. Mm -hmm. But Bob remembers all my struggles for years of doing that. And so mm -hmm. when I play something like we were playing Dr. Atomic many, many years ago, we toured that, and it's beautiful, and, it, and it's a good solo for me. Mm -hmm. I play it really well. And so far, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. um, but we were playing that, and he looked down to me, and, and when it was done, he said, if Vince could see you now. And I almost cried when he said oh. that because cause that was a victory. Yeah. And he knows. The most, mo cool. most people now, they just think that that's what I do, and it's a natural thing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing natural about it with my body. It's become that way, and he knows the struggles yeah. that I did because I would have aired out like 20 times in that mm -hmm. solo, mm -hmm. you know, 40 years ago. Uh, I had to figure out that thing that Jay was talking mm -hmm. about, that blowing the air completely wow. from one note to the next. So, yeah, Jay, he's got, so, I, evidently you've read several of his articles. Off of his website, yeah, yeah. There's, there's quite a few. The, you know, the pol political ones, I'll leave those, those alone, away. Right? Yeah, leave those alone. I mean, <laughs> Jay stuff. and I are kind of interesting. 
uh, we are polar op opposites, as I am with a lot of musicians. Mm -hmm. he, he is completely one extreme wild, mm -hmm. so like Mark Gould is out there on another sure. red planet somewhere far, far away. <laughs> However, I still love to be around Gould. Absolutely. And, you know, Gould and I, when we get together, we'll give each other grief about some things, but we have a respect for each other. And that's the way I'm with Jay. Mm -hmm. When I see Jay, we hug. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jay and I, we, the person, we hug. I love the man mm -hmm. and his wife. Um, and I feel like he helped me a lot yeah. with my struggles. Yeah. And he knows what we all want to sound like. He sat right next to him for a long time. Yeah. Probably 50, almost 50 years. Yeah. 40, wow. 45, something like that. Can't believe he's still going too, you know? You know, he, I think he sounds awesome. He, he has, he's had to rebuild himself, I think, two or three times in the last, you know, 12, mm -hmm. 15 years or so, uh, which is an amazing testimony in and of itself, sure. right? But, I mean, I, I, to sit next to him on Das Lied von der Erde, and the trumpet doesn't play the last movement, so your task at like last 25 to 30 minutes of the piece. Mm -hmm. And I remember three nights sitting right beside him, and the trombones have, I mean, talking about subtle. And the last note of the piece, it just like starts at pianissimo, and it gets softer and softer and softer. <clears throat> and here's a guy at that time, he was like 80, maybe 81, mm -hmm. something like that. And he wastes the orchestra because he has more control. When most people at 81 years old can barely breathe, right, and he's got the refined control, not to move any shake, no nothing, mm -hmm. perfect. I'm sitting there. That's a master class mm -hmm. of all master classes. Right. I'm going like, holy cow! Mm -hmm. I mean, I never seen any, and he's wasting everybody in his section, <laughs> and I know that's his forte. However, it's still. His forte, yeah, and if uh, that is just impressive, and mm -hmm. you know, and he doesn't act like he's, you know, he looks in the mirror like I do, and I can't believe what I look like in the mirror. But he certainly acts like he's half his age, mm -hmm. and and plays. Um, got to hear him play Prokofiev three in Vienna just a few oh, nice. weeks ago, and and oh, gorgeous. Well, the, you know, the reviewers said it was the trombones ruined it because it was all too loud. They played awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just that Vienna they're kind of used to. Mm -hmm. No front end, no real nothing. It's like the brass playing is nothing like right. what. Right. But that trombone section, they still bring it like they did 40 years ago. Yeah. And the horns sound great. The trumpets now with Esteban. They, that, I uh, haven't heard him yet. Oh, dude, you have to hear him. And you know what? He's also, he's somebody you want to interview. Mm -hmm. He is a really sweet, sincere warm human being. He's mm -hmm. the perfect guy for that job. He's mm -hmm. healing a lot of wounds and over the years that have probably been there for decades because mm -hmm. Herseth was not an easy man to work for. I didn't know him that way. I knew him as a teacher and he was a warm grandfather. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to work with him, that's where all the ulcers and stuff came from uh, that, all the, that yeah. their section endured. He was a hard man to work for, and mm -hmm. Esteban is one of those guys. He just, he just, he's got a huge heart, and mm -hmm. you'll fall in love with him the first time you meet him. Mm -hmm. He's just, and then you hear him play, and he's scary good. All the finesse you'd want, but with so right. much power, um, he's now playing on Bud's old horn again. He's 
pulled yeah. that one out, and he, I think he's put a Winans pipe on it or something. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's Bud's old horn. So mm -hmm. they've got two sister Mount Vernon C's uh, from 1955. He's got the one that's one serial number away that he found. It wasn't. It's not an orchestra mm -hmm. horn. He found it, and I like Hagstrom's better. I mm -hmm. Fortunately, got to play them both, which. Mm -hmm. And compare mine to it, and mine is a later generation. Mine dates back to 1964, mm. so mine's close to the end of the Mount Vernon era. Mm -hmm. um, mine has a much more, much more screamy high register on it, mm -hmm. uh, but mine doesn't have as much core in the low register. Well, if I got to find one, I, I got the right, right horn for a first trumpet part. Right. Um, and then um, I think the best one of those that I've played thus far is is the one Hagstrom has, but Bud's horn sounds just like it's just a little harder to play. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a new one that, uh, that Micah Wilkinson has who's in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. He just picked up, and I'm curious to play that one. It dates, it's about a year and a half, I think, older than those are, and I'm kind of curious to see what Is anybody trying out. to replicate these horns? Yes, you know, Yamaha tried to replicate and did a fairly good job. That's where the Gen 1s came from. Mm -hmm. And and they, they even that's like... That's interesting, it's nothing like a Bach. No, no, not not the front end of the horn anyway. But it's still, I mean, you're still talking about a Japanese foundry, mm -hmm. um, and they don't sound. I I get what they were like. If you play a, a Mark II and then you play a Gen One, you will hear there's a, a sort of a bit of the overtone structure of a Mount Vernon, but the Mount Vernon C's are unique mm -hmm. and those sounds are are just really awesome uh, i have two uh bob walp has two and then we have two others that, so the those between the four of us we have six in the section mm -hmm. we're trying to run the market uh <laughs> and then b flat wise i prefer the old new yorks over the mount vernons because mm -hmm. they're even more c trumpet like they're mm -hmm. a little more focused and concise mm -hmm. a little bit more like what you're you're mm -hmm. you know shires mm -hmm. are like so the, you know the thing about those bach bells they when they made those bells the the thickness of the metal throughout the flare gets thinner and thinner right it was a mistake but in if the way they didn't hammered, know how to, that's going to exactly happen. exactly it's hand hammered and it's going to but you got to hammer the crap out yeah. of it to get it as thin as they are it's quite thin mm -hmm. as the bell goes through and most everybody else doesn't want to do that. You buy the sheet met, you know, the sheet right. brass, and it's the same, whatever, you know, 0 0.020 or uh, 0 0.019, mm -hmm. whatever that thickness is, and it's throughout. You cut. Have you ever done that thing where you build a natural trumpet? I, I did it, with Bob Barkley and Rick Serafino. Well, yes, uh, I've not done that. I want to do that yeah, sometime. It's one of the best weeks you'll ever spend. I would love to do one. Yeah. And I know that's sort of more in your neck of the woods up mm -hmm. in that part of the, mm -hmm. the country. And I, one of our students at U of H did it last summer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you cut the bell out, and then you do hand hammer the bell, oh. but you're not really stretching the metal as much as just shaping it into a round, right? It does stretch. In fact, you have to, does it? when you, you hammer it into a flare, you know, because it thins, it starts to spread a little bit. And so you end up trimming the rough edge off oh. towards the end. So there is... So that's still made the way yeah. those are made. What are they doing today? What do they do to keep the thickness the same? I think they, they cut them to shape. 
you know, I think it's it's to to reduce the labor. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, what they've done now, Bach has gone back the the newest horn, the C one ninety that Mike Sachs has worked with them on. Mm -hmm. They've gone back. They're even doing a seam on the side, which I don't think really matters. I think that's a marketing thing. I don't think it matters where the seam is, but they're doing the same process that they've always done. Mm -hmm. Uh, of hammering out those bells. Mm -hmm. They do something else that I didn't know about. I just switched my artist stuff from Yamaha to Bach. Mm -hmm. And I had a nice long lunch with Phil Brown, who works for Bach. And they do, you know, they bake. I mean, everybody knows they bake their bells. They bake them in dirt. And there's a, like Vincent Bach came up with special recipes of dirt. No, and they're different. I've never heard this. I, me either. And I don't think, they, and and it's different recipes for the different kind of bells. Mm -hmm. Like every bell has its own special recipe. Mm -hmm. So trombone bell will not be done in the same dirt as a trumpet bell mm -hmm. and the different trumpet bells. And so they, I don't know how they do it. I don't know if they. I mean, I'm just I, I'm. Curious. You know, I've been to the Consolmer factory. You know, I've watched the process. They've got the the place where the guy, uh, you know, he anneals the, mm -hmm. the big. He anneals it, right? You know, and they go back to hammering and they anneal. You know, it's back and until it's done, and then they do this process. And it sounds like going like dirt voodoo or something, mm -hmm. but they bury it into dirt, and then it's fine and it's baked the last bit. And I don't know what that does. But must do something. Well, does it take you back to the cryogenic phase? Of yes. Trouble, you know. Yeah. Is Remember that... when there I was freezing during oh, yeah. the the 90s and right. you know Wayne Tanabe, that was this big deal. Mm -hmm. Except Malone would tell everybody, whatever you do, don't freeze my bells, which told me immediately that that not only did Malone bake his bells, I think he patterned and annealed his bells because he said whatever if you freeze it, you will undo everything mm -hmm. I've done. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that he was using some kind of pattern annealing process um, that will, you know, if you do that, you can kind of emphasize harmonics and bring them back. You can see why Chick what she well, should say, don't don't get into doing this. Just find one you like off the shelf and play it. Yeah, well, you know, you know I mean, in so many, Harrelson, I mean, if you're into some of that, or Taylor, you know, mm -hmm. or Monette. Um, it, there's so many great horns out there. And... That's just it. So I tell my students these days, well, what should I buy? I said, you know, just go test drive every single horn you can get your hands on. I played some decent Adamses uh, at TMEA. Mm -hmm. The only thing, Adams, he is working with Hagstrom because he realizes he's got good, it's a well-manufactured instrument, mm -hmm. very well-manufactured. His bells, though, are very thick and very heavy. Mm -hmm. It's like holding a timpani, right? Mm. And I think he's got something happening, but when I would pick up my horn and play it back and forth, mm -hmm. they were two total different sound spectrums. Mm -hmm. And he, he was aware of that, and he was very much eager to learn. And so I talked to him about it, and he goes, yes, I've been working with John Hagstrom. And I said, say no more. I said, when you get finished, let me know, mm -hmm. and I'll try one. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll do it. And I said, because that's what you want to do. And, and I said, have you measured his bell? And he said, no, but John has measured it, and he sent me all of the measurements. And I said, yeah, I know John. John knows everything. I said, he's done done my bell, too. We right. compared <laughs> our two horns back and forth a good bit mm -hmm. the last time I was up there. And um, and John was the one, by the way, that told me about uh, clocking newts. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought about that. Mm -hmm. And darn it, he was right. 
just never knew it. Yeah. And um, but but anyway, that's somebody to look out for. I think Adams sure. is is working. He's got to figure out how he's going to thin the wall of his bell, and he doesn't know exactly what he's going to do now. Yeah. He said, short of just hammering the hell out of it, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, but I'll come up with something. I'll yeah. figure this out. Because yeah. he goes, I can hear the difference. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, like, literally, like, I pulled mine out. And then he sat there, and I said, do you want to measure it? And he goes, no, but I want to touch it. And he sat there, and he then he goes, right here, right here. This is where it starts getting thinner. And he goes through, and, and I said, yeah. yeah. And... At, have you seen? We can. Are we? Uh, Let's uh, off. Let me let me sign wrap off. up. I'll edit some stuff out. But let me say again, thank you so much for sharing. It's been a. It's, this has been a treat, absolute treat. And we actually ended up talking more about equipment than, than we ever than, would have wanted than to. Any other one. <laughs> so I might put that on a separate, uh, separate category. But um, anyways, thank you so much, and uh, we'll we'll thank have to you. get together another time. Let's do. Let's Terrific. do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues, and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.